0: Jesus. Jesus, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know, um, this is my favorite Sunday of the year. You know, um, man has discovered a lot of answers for a lot of problems. You know, we've conquered the known world we've cured diseases by the thousands, we've climbed the highest heights, we've went to the deepest depths, we've went into space, but you know, there's one answer that man has, there's one question man has no answer for, and it's the question about death, what about death? It's the one that plagues every man, and listen to this, this verse has been stuck in my heart, it says therefore since the children share in flesh and blood he himself likewise also partook of the same that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death that is the devil and might free those (laughs) who through the fear of death were subject to slavery their entire lives (laughs) that's it that's it this is the greatest question in the human heart from the beginning of time until, until the end of time is the greatest question and Jesus has the answer. This is what we're celebrating. Listen to this. I love this. Listen, this is what he tells John in the book of Revelation. He said, I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and hell. This is it. This is it. This is the complete game changer. If he had just died on the cross, he would have been remembered as a good man. He would have been remembered as a man who sacrificed. He would have been remembered in the same light as, as Buddha and Gandhi and all these great spiritual people. He would have been remembered like that. But that was not it. It would have, been get, it would have had no power. His sacrifice would have had no power if in three days he did not rise from the dead. That was it. That was the difference maker. He defeated it all. Listen to this. One more. i got to give you these. These are just tearing me up. Listen to this. This is what I want to. Listen to what the angel says to Mary. Here she is. She's going to the tomb. He looks at this angel, shows up to Mary. He says, why do you seek the living one among the dead? Why do you seek the living one among the dead? Well, I think he's saying is, what are you thinking? Death couldn't hold the living one. This wasn't a man that died here. This wasn't an average Joe. This is the living one. Death can't hold him. It's over with. Listen, this is it. This is it. He did 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 it. It doesn't get any better. It doesn't get any better. He beat it all. So listen, this is what I want to do. There's several of you in here that have never tasted this resurrection. I think it would be an injustice if we went about things as usual and it didn't allow the living one to make people alive again. You know, he's a resurrector. You know, 15 years ago, I was a suicidal, depressed, hopeless drug addict on my way to prison. And all of a sudden, this living one walked into my tomb. And he yanked me out. He yanked me out. He raises people up. That's what he does. (laughs) This is what I want to do. I want to get some people up here to pray. Todd, Stephen, Josh, come on up. Heather, come on up. Tish, come on up. This is what we're going to do. This thing is so real. This is it. This makes... This is the difference maker. Every other religion, every other religion, their leader has died and their body is decaying in the earth. We have the only one that defeated death. The greatest question in man's heart, Jesus is the only one that has an answer for. He's the only one that has that answer. And he also has the answer to to your spiritual problems, your mental problems, your physical problems. When he died, he paid that you would be completely set free. So we're going to keep worshiping. But if, if in any way you have not experienced this resurrection... It could be you've never been saved, you've never had a personal relationship with Jesus. It could be that you have sickness in your body and you're dying of disease. That's not something he, had, he wants for you. He's paid for a different thing. He's paid that you can have a better way. It could be that you're bound in your mind. I was bound in my mind 15 years ago. I was depressed, hopeless, and suicidal. And the living one touched me and it was over. That could be you today. That could be you today, and you need to be resurrected. You could be in your own tomb. I have no idea where you're at. I want you to come up. I remember my favorite quote from Leonard Ravenhill, one of my my, uh, um, heroes. He said, the opportunity of of a lifetime must be seized in the moment of the opportunity. So this is your moment. This is your moment. I want you to come on up. It doesn't matter where you're at. You could just be struggling with something. I believe there's resurrection power here now. It's inside of us. So we're going to keep worshiping, and I want you to come. No matter where you're at in your life, it doesn't matter. You can come exactly as you are. But I guarantee you, come up here and look. He's not dead. Come look.
1: Come see. Come
0: see for yourself.
1: I'm just, uh, I'm undone. He's so worthy. And, uh, you know, this day, Resurrection Sunday, as Ben said, if you know me at all, I love Christmas, but Resurrection Sunday is the power demonstrated of who God is. That He conquered every foe triumphed over them and made a public spectacle of them. And that's the God that we serve. Jesus, his body was that veil that was torn so that we could enter into the holiest by the blood of the Lamb. So that changes everything. We, we cannot continue to do life as we always have. And uh, as I was praying over the past couple of weeks, and over this, this week specifically, for this day, I was just uh, I don't even have words as I begin to look at everything that he's done. And I, I, here's what I've prayed, and I, I want you to know, we're not here to hear a man. I, I'm so thankful for the honor. but I have nothing apart from him. He is everything. And if we get to the place where we reduce Christianity down to a man that we think that we lay on him the responsibility to stir us and to keep us motivated, we have misplaced the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah. That I do not shun my responsibility, but I stand before you today weak and undone for the one that says, when you're weak, I'm strong. because he wants to do something in our hearts that only he can do. And that's what I've been praying. This week I've been praying, God, I pray that revelation of the resurrection would really awaken on the inside of our hearts. That we would no longer just do church. You know, this has become a holiday in church. We wear our pretty clothes. Right? We wear our pretty clothes. We put, some people put Easter lilies out. Uh, you know, you have a big family meal and things like that. You celebrate with your family and uh, we can be so caught up in going through the motions that we miss the life that he wants to release into us. A fresh and anew today. So I'm, I'm just going to be honest. I'm struggling. <laughs> Not because I don't have anything to say. I've preached what I was going to preach today about three times this week to different people. And I was excited to be here. I haven't, I haven't preached in almost a month. We've had different people share. We had, uh, I was in the Dominican Republic for a Sunday. Then uh, Brooke and Justin shared. Then Tish shared. And uh, so this week, I think maybe the Lord, just in his beauty, idled me down because I was tanked up and ready to go, you know. You know what I mean. I could have preached to the wall. I didn't care if anybody said amen. I was that jazz. But I really feel like the resurrected King wants to be seen today. Yes. Yes. He wants to be seen. He, he doesn't need to be explained away. It doesn't have to come through eloquent eloquent speaking. Thank God. Eloquent. <laughs> see, he see how good he is. <laughs> That's just how good he is. I'm not here. I have I studied and studied and prayed and looked over the Levitical least, the Levitical. See there, he's so good. My, my tongue is just undone. I told you. I told him, I said, Jesus, I'll be a fool for you. Because huh. I don't care. I'm not here to build a reputation. I'm not here to build a church. I'm here to lift up a man that gave everything for us. You can't sermonize that. You can't point, put that in three little points in a cute poem. He won't fit. He will not fit. He's bigger. He's so much bigger. And he, he I believe that the king of glory really wants to arise in our hearts today. And I believe one of the key things that stops that is shame. As I was praying this week, the Lord said there's three things, and it's not just three. This is what he said to me, okay? There's three things that really hinder my body. It's shame, condemnation, and offense. And I asked our small group this Wednesday night, I said, does Romans 8 one, say there's therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. It's not a trick question. Yes, it does. It says therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So what I love about the word is when we have a therefore, it's good to know what it's there for. You know, he's saying, he's starting in verse one of chapter eight and you know that when it was written, it wasn't written in chapter and verse. It was written as a letter, and translators, as they were, uh, were transcribing it from Greek to English, they put chapter and verse so we could reference, but it wasn't broken up that way. And uh, Romans 6, I- I'm just going to skim through some of this. Um, 623 says the wages of sin is death but the gift of but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord verse 7 of um, chapter 7 verse 1 that was the uh, verse 23 of chapter 6 chapter 7 verse 1 says or do you not know brethren for I speak to those who, who know the law that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives for the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if he, if he, the husband, dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another, she will be con- called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law so that she is no adulteress, though she was, has married another man. Therefore, brethren, there's a therefore, he makes a case. He says, therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Amen. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you might be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. As I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about Resurrection uh, Sunday, I, I was drawn back to the cross to where Jesus died on the cross. And it said, when he was there, he cried out, which is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he he cried with a loud voice, it is finished. And it said, when he did, the veil of the temple was rent in two, from top to bottom. Scholars say, the scribes say, that two two teams of horses could not tear that veil apart. The way it was woven, it was woven with gold in it strands of gold in it. It was, it was woven thick and heavy. that it, two, two teams of horses couldn't tear the veil apart. But when Jesus cried, it is finished. When he died, what he did is he paid the price for sin. And that was what was behind the veil. What was behind the veil in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. You know what was in the Ark of the Covenant? It was tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments. There was Aaron's rod that budded, and there was manna. From heaven in a pot. Those are the three things that was in there. You know what they represented? Man's rebellion. Man's rebellion towards God's law, towards God's authority and towards God's provision. Help us Jesus. Because you see the same thing today. You see rebellion toward God's law, what God said through his authority and through his provision. And we think we can do better than him. <clears throat> And behind that veil, the high priest would go once a year at Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And what he went through to be worthy to offer that sacrifice for their sins was amazing. I I read, I went to the uh, Temple Institute, which is out of Israel, where they are wanting to reinstitute temple worship and sacrifice. They can't right now. You know why? Because there's a mosque there. There's a Muslim mosque, the Dome of the Rock, it's there. And it's right where the temple is supposed to be because the temple had to be put on a stone. It couldn't be built on earth because something could be under the earth that could defile it. That's why it had to be built on a rock. It had to be built on a stone so that nothing underneath could defile what God was doing on top. Thank God we have a better way. That high priest would live for a week in a stone house, so to speak, with stone... uh, utensils and stone cups and plates and things like that because they say stone is impregnable to sin. Dirt's not, but stone is. This is Jewish tradition out of the Talmud. So they said stone is, is impregnable to sin. It can't be defiled. So they would have to live in stone in seclusion for a week prior to going and, and uh, offering the the red heifer to get the ashes to to be sacrificed so that the priest could be cleansed so that he could go behind the curtain on that day they did all of that every year just so they could forgive the sins of their people for one year Hebrews goes on to say uh, if that would have worked it would have remained but it didn't work we'll maybe look at that in just a moment But what they constantly dealt with was shame. They constantly dealt with being impure and being defiled and not being able to come before the presence of the Lord. And it was a real deal. If they went before the presence of the Lord with sin in their life, they died. So it's not light. God doesn't make light of that. I want you to understand that the law wasn't bad. The law was holy and it showed men their unholiness. The purpose of the law, Paul said, I wouldn't have known I was a sinner if it wasn't for the law. What's the purpose of the law? It's to show man their need of God. It's not to show Christians how to live. If you're living by the law, you have fallen from grace. That's what Paul said. So to fall means you went from a higher place down. So this priest, he dealt with that reality of sin and the payment of sin, and he lived in seclusion. They would anoint him, and he would go behind there, and he would would offer the sacrifice for, for one year. It was good for one year. But daily, it says daily that the Levitical priesthood was in the temple offering sacrifices. If people messed up, they did something wrong, they could come and they could bring a sin offering. They could bring a trespass offering, and they would offer them to the priest who were in the inner court, and... If I would have just been sharp, I would have had an illustration, but I don't. I can describe it. though. There was the tabernacle. There was the the yard inside of the curtain that separated, which was the outer court. Then you go in the inner court, and then you went into the Holy of Holies, and the Holy of Holies is where the Ark of the Covenant was that only the high priest could go in. And in that Ark of the Covenant, if I'd have been really good, I'd have had Eddie bring his Ark. But... I'm not that good. So we deal. we can accept that and move forward. <laughs> but in that ark, on top of the ark, there were two cherubim. Their wings touched. And the blood would be placed on what was called the mercy seat, which was made out of pure gold. The ark was made of a acacia wood, overlaid with gold, within and without, typifying the humanity of Jesus. And they would place the blood on top of that And when they would place the blood on top of that, if the priest lived, it meant they were forgiven and they would come out. This is what was behind the curtain. This is what was separated from normal man. No one could see that but the high priest. And when Jesus died on the cross, when he declared, it's finished, he was saying, the old way is over. There's a new way. And God said, yes and amen. And he tore the veil that separated man from God and opened it and exposed himself to everyone just as Jesus was exposed on the cross. You know what he took? He took your shame. And you know what shame does? Shame takes you from the place of saying, I did wrong, to saying, I am wrong. That's what shame does. When you carry shame, it's not I did wrong, it's I am wrong. And what you totally negate is the finished work of Jesus. Does that mean we continue to do wrong? Absolutely not. Jesus, with the woman caught in the very act of adultery, he said, where are your accusers? She said, there aren't any. He said, I don't either. Go and sin no more. You know what he released her from? Shame. He said, I don't condemn you. I don't judge you. Go and sin no more. Don't put yourself back under shame. See, we've told this lie that says if we sin, God can't deal with us. That's a lie. When Adam and Eve sinned, God went looking for them. God wasn't afraid of it. Sin hurts us. Gee, it hurt God because he paid the high price of his son Jesus dying on the cross, giving his life for us. But he forever settled the sin debt. Now what separates us is shame, condemnation, and offense. And as I was praying into that, I said, Lord, but offense and condemnation, shame, that's what people do to us. He said, you're wrong. I'm smart enough not to argue. I said, really? He said, yeah, you're wrong. He said, shame, condemnation, and offense are something you take. They're offered by others, but you have to take it. And when you take it, it's a, it becomes uh, rooted in you, and it'll affect how you look at me, how you look at them, and how you look at you. So good. I cannot condemn you. I do not have the power because Romans 8 one says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ there's not a person in this world, spiritual or physical, that can condemn you. Jesus took that condemnation for you. But if you take it, there's nothing he can do about it until you let go of it. That's shame, that's offense, that's condemnation. He paid the price, but when we take them, it immediately begins to affect how we deal with him, how we deal with others, and how we deal with ourselves. When we own shame... We don't want to see ourselves in the light of the word because we're scared. It's just going to show us how bad we are. Not what bad we did, but how bad we are. Instead of running to him and seeing how good he is. That he loves me in spite of my shortcomings. He doesn't empower me to stay the same. He's put his power in me to bring change so that I don't ever have to be the same again. What wrecked me is I was looking at this and thinking about that day, at the time that Jesus was, uh, was there, there was a time of the offering in the tabernacle uh, that they were offering. The priests were in there serving, not behind the Holy of Holies, but they were in there serving. And when the veil rent, There was a whole tribe of people, the Levitical tribe. They were the only ones that could work inside there. Do you understand what I'm saying? They're the only ones that could be in there. But there was only one out of all of those that could go behind the curtain. They're in there, they're serving, and Jesus says it's finished. The earthquakes, the veils rent, and the priests that were working inside the inner court, I can only imagine (laughs) what took place on the inside of them. But here's what I know. From that day forward, their worship was forever changed because of that one day that one event their worship was forever changed they were forever changed I'm not saying they became Christians right away but how they did what they had always done couldn't be done that way anymore are you with me But we, we come to church, Resurrection Sunday, we we come in and God stirs our hearts and we go, man, God, I would love to be different, but you don't understand. You don't know what I did. You don't know what I struggle with. You don't know what so-and-so said about me. You don't know how they hurt me. And we come in and the whole time Jesus has already declared it's finished. See, the cross is beautiful, but it's empty. It's empty. It's empty just like the tomb. We are supposed to live not from the cross, but from the resurrection. Because Paul said, the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. So that's why I've been so undone this week because I said, God, I I can study, and and I did. I said months ago, God's wrecked my sermon preparation in a good way, because he says, just come here and spend time with me. It doesn't matter about that. You spend time with me, and, and then you stand, and I'll fill your mouth. But I'm not ignorant enough to say, so everything that comes out is God. So if you don't like it, deal with God. No, because they're still Todd. He still comes through this filter. And he still comes through your filter. You know what? He chose it that way. He chose to use us, and it still has to come through our filter. But he said, I just want you to come away with me, because there'll always be, here's what you need to understand, there'll always be someone that has an argument a little stronger than yours. There'll always be one that can share it a little better than you can. There'll always be one who maybe lived a little more holy than you did. But when we together go to Jesus, it changes everything. Everything. Because I don't measure myself against anyone but Him. And I don't measure myself against Him. What I do is I acknowledge who He is to me, and I lay it at His feet. I shared with our group Wednesday night, Philemon 1, I think verse 6, there's only one chapter in Philemon, but I think it's verse 6, it says, but the communication of our faith becomes effective by acknowledging every good thing that's in us in Christ Jesus. Jesus. So how do I become effective? How does my uh, communication of my faith become effective as I acknowledge Jesus in me? Not me in him, him in me. Am I in him? Absolutely, I'm in him. And everywhere I go, he goes, because he's in me. But my effectiveness comes as I begin to acknowledge who he is. Just as 2 Corinthians 10 says that we bring... uh, 2 Corinthians 10 says that we bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Not my obedience, his obedience. So what's all this have to say? I'm praying for revelation of the resurrection so that we can know that it's not too good to be true. That if we're in, we are in shame, shame is not just uh, sorrow sorrow. We can be sorrowful for what we did, but when we own it and it becomes our identity, it becomes shame. Shame is an identity. Condemnation is an identity. We, we take on, well, I'm condemned because what I did or what they said to me, it condemned me. No, you cannot be condemned. On the authority of God's word, you cannot be condemned. Yeah, right. Now, if you take it, just like an offense, if you take it, then it's yours until you deal with it. And he's saying it doesn't have to remain that way. Does that make sense? It doesn't have to remain that way. We can't be talked into it. But I'm telling you, when you encounter him, you won't be talked out of it. When you encounter the living God in that area, I'm not just talking about you get born again, but that shame that you've carried, that condemnation you've carried, that offense that you've carried, when you lay it at his feet and you realize when he hung naked on the cross, he bore all of that for you. When you lay that down at the cross and you come out of the tomb of offense, of the tomb of shame, of the tomb of condemnation, and you walk into new life like he walked in, you know what? You may still have scars, but you're alive. And you are the only one who can choose that. You know, I was as I was thinking about this, my deep theological mind, I began to think about Annalise, my grandbaby. Not mine solely, but she's mine. There are other grandparents and great grandparents, but she's mine. Not in exclusion of others, just she's mine. And I look at her. And and you know what? If she's a little bit hungry, she'll cry. If she's a little bit tired, she'll cry. If she's a little dirty, she'll cry. If she's just not happy, she'll cry. And you know what? There's no shame on her. She doesn't look around the room and wonder if she's going to inconvenience anybody when she cries. She is not worried about how inconvenient it is to her mother when she's hungry. She just lets her know, I'm hungry. And she can be rested, she can be fed, but if she's dirty, she's not happy. And she wants to be changed, and she will let you know. And she has no shame. She has no condemnation about it. And she's not worried about whether she's offended anybody. Why? Because she's new. And when we're born again, we're new. We are a new creation. Our spirit man was birthed, and we became new. Now we have baggage in our mind that we carry with us into this new relationship that we have with God. And that's Romans 12, and we have to renew this, our mind, our will, and our emotions so that it follows after what God's placed on the inside of us and sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. It's a done deal. And as we renew our mind, we can walk out. And I'm just going to tell you straight up. I won't, nor anyone in my presence, will put shame on my granddaughter. They're not going to do it. Not while I'm around. She does something. There won't be a person that says shame on her if, and without being rebuked by me. Serving notice. Because <laughs> it could be offensive. Offensive. And you'll have to take that if that's what you want as a fence. <laughs> But I'm telling you, she, no one will put shame on her <laughs> like we've done. We, you know, I can remember the older generations, you do something wrong, shame on you. And well, you know the old saying, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a lie straight out of the pit of hell. <laughs> straight from the pit of hell, probably breathed by Satan himself because he said, I'll just make this cute little rhyme and whispered in someone's ear, and they'll spend their whole life shaping their life after words and, and, and r- chanting this little rhyme that says they have no authority and that they've given their whole lives over to it. How many in this room, and don't raise your hands, in this room have been crippled by what someone said about you because you thought about it. You may not have acted it out, but you thought about it, and when you felt like rising up to the challenge to be who God called you to be, that word just nagged in your ear, and you go, I can't do that because of this. That's the power of shame when we listen, when others speak. But I'm telling you, there's not one person in this room that can be shamed by anybody in here, that can be condemned or offended unless you take it because Jesus bore it on the cross. It's not even your right to have it. If you're a Christian, it's you, you possess it illegally. because Jesus paid the full price for it so that you wouldn't have to. He redeemed you completely in your spirit. You're as righteous now as you'll ever be. You were created, Paul said in Ephesians, you're created in true righteousness and holiness. What is holiness? That was so amazing as I was reading at the Temple Institute and I was reading about the high priest and and the priestly line because they're wanting to get all that going again. They say, I've heard, rumor has it they have a red heifer to to purify the high priest and I was reading after these things about this whole priestly line uh, and the Levitical line and they were talking about what is holiness? And they say, well, it's not spiritual. It's spiritual physical but there's a spiritual it was it's sad it's not funny it's sad how they try to wrap their minds around this literally here's this just deep are you with me get your pencils out because holiness literally means this set apart it's not how long your hair is the clothes that you wear it's not any of that it's that you are set apart for a purpose When Jesus died on the cross and paid for our sin, he declared when you receive that as the payment for your sin, you become holy. Doesn't mean that you act right and do everything right. That's the renewing of the mind that changes how we respond to things in this body. So what I want you to understand is that if you've walked in shame, you can be free. If you've walked in condemnation, you can be free. If you've walked in offense, which I think is the most deadly of all, because when we receive offense, it affects how we see everything from that point forward until we get free of that offense. We can have someone who loves us and who's wanting to encourage and strengthen us, but if we have a spirit of offense, and it's a spirit, it help me, Jesus, that probably hurt somebody right there. I'm not saying you're demon possessed, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But if you carry a spirit of offense, someone trying to help you becomes your enemy. Because with offense comes shame and condemnation. So you're constantly looking at what you're not capable of doing, maybe because of what someone else has said, instead of what Jesus has already done. So someone can be sharing with you to help you and encourage you, and you feel like they're condemning you you feel like they're sitting up high looking down low at you when all they're saying is, I'm beside you walking with you. But if you have a filter of shame, condemnation, and offense, you won't see it that way. What you'll see is they're not trying to help me. They just want me to see how unworthy I am or how bad I've messed up. And that's a lie from the liar. And Jesus said, you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. So I want us to know truth. I want us to understand that Jesus paid the high price so that we could not just act free, that we could really be free. I just want to share some more. I'm not going to say how much or anything like that because you go, well, you said this. <laughs> Verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 4. We ought to love the book of Hebrews. We ought to love the book of Romans. We ought to love the book of Ephesians because they, they talk about what Jesus accomplished for us. Romans uh, and deals with the question of sin and how he dealt with it. Hebrews deals with the law and how he dealt with it. It's so beautiful. Hebrews chapter four, verse 16, 14 says, seeing then we ha- that we have a-, a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That word there, uh, let us come, the word come is in the present tense, and it means continually as often as needed. We can come boldly before our high priest. And what's so beautiful about that? I love this part right here. The Lord really highlighted it to me in verse 15. He was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. I was talking about the high priest back in the day. You know what the high priest had to do? He had to separate himself away from everyone else. He separated himself away from everyone else because everyone else was sinful. Everyone else had impurity, and if they touched him, he could be impure. You understand the system of the law, was, the purpose of it was to show man their need of God and how unrighteous they were. It wasn't to build them up, it was to tear them down. You understand? I don't know how to say this, but just be plain. If you got little kids in the room, cover their ears. I'm just kidding, it's not that bad. I'm right. just kidding. Women who had their menstrual cycle Under the law, if they came in this room, you know what they'd have to do? They'd have to cry, unclean, 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 because they were bleeding and they weren't to be in the congregation of the assembly because they were considered unclean. That's very encouraging, uplifting, and edifying, isn't it? You walk in Walmart, unclean. I got to get some stuff because I'm unclean. I'm going over here, I'm unclean. That just makes you excited, right? <laughs> the high priest of that day, he had to separate himself because any little thing could make him unclean. Our high priest, we have a greater high priest. He was among every one of them. Right. He rubbed elbows with every one of them. Here's what's so beautiful. The, the high priest under the law, if he touched sin, he became contaminated. Our high priest, when he touched sinners, they became clean. Yeah. When, he came, when he touched lepers, they were healed. Yeah. He didn't get leprosy. They got healed. Isn't that beautiful? It's different. Everything changed. My heart's cry. If you didn't hear anything, is this, that today would not just be another day, another Easter, what you call a Resurrection Sunday. It wouldn't just be another one, but it would be one today where we go, Jesus, you are alive and that changes everything for me. Not just for the others in the room who will say amen, but it changes everything for me because Jesus, you paid it all for me. Hebrews 10. For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers once purified would have no more consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. What's he saying? Here's what he's saying. Here's what I want you to understand. He said every year they had to make that sacrifice for their sin. And he said every year. You know what that sacrifice was? It was a reminder of their sin. He said if it had been a perfect system, then they wouldn't have had to do it anymore. They would have done it, and it would have been over. He said it wasn't a perfect system. But Jesus, when he offered once For all, he sat down. Why? Because he paid for sin, past, present, and future. It's settled. So there's not a sin issue with God or with you if you've placed your trust in Jesus Christ. Not in connection with him. There's not a sin issue. It's been paid for 100%. But when we sin in the body, what it does is it brings condemnation to our mind and our heart. And Paul dealt with that, not Paul, First uh, John <clears throat> dealt with that when he said, if our heart doesn't condemn us, then we have confidence with God. If our heart doesn't condemn us, then we have confidence with God. And what I believe the enemy's after is just that, your confidence with God. Because if he can steal your confidence with God, it doesn't have to be just in the area of healing or just in the area of a a stronghold that's been in your life. He'll have you until we lay that all and realize that I will not allow my heart to condemn me anymore. Because Romans says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And, and I was going to read all that. You should go back and read Romans chapter seven because it really talks about what that therefore is there for. It talks about that because of the price that Jesus paid, the high priest that we have, the price that he paid, then we don't have to carry that sin consciousness any longer. That's what Hebrews 10 talks about here. It talks about we don't have to carry that sin consciousness any longer because Jesus paid the price for it. So what does it have to do with everything? It has everything to do with everything. Because if we allow, through the lies of the enemy that we believe, if we allow shame, condemnation, and offense to derail us, the condemnation, the offense, the shame, it comes from our mind, from our heart, not from God. And when we acknowledge that and go, you know what, I'll not live my life in shame any longer, in offense any longer, you go, it's not that easy it may not be easy, but it's simple. It, there's not hoops that we have to jump through. There's not so many scriptures that we have to recite, so much prayer that we have to offer. He, he finished it. And when we receive it by faith, the process is renewing our mind that every time the enemy lies, this is the word says, every tongue that rises against you, you shall condemn. As I was, I, I'll, I'll close with this, and I really am. Because I feel like this is a word for some in here. As I was uh, praying this morning, I uh, opened up my Bible, and it was uh, my Bible program, and it was to this passage in Isaiah, and I I have no remembrance of going to this passage in Isaiah. And uh, I don't know how it got there. It was in a window that I had opened. I don't know how it got there. I'm not trying to super spiritualize. I'm just trying to be honest. And this Sunday represents uh, our eight-year anniversary as a church. And eight in numerology is the number of new beginnings. And uh, so I had just been praying to that, saying, all right, God, what what does that mean? What does it look like? And that was separate from this. So I opened up this program, and it's Isaiah 43, verse 18. And here's what he's saying. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old, Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth, shall you know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beasts of the field will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. Because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I have formed for myself, they shall declare my praise. You go, that's for Israel. Yes, it is, but we've been grafted in, thank God. Abraham's my father, and I've been grafted in, so any promise he has is mine. I I have, I have right to it through what Jesus accomplished, the seed of Abraham. But I felt like the Lord is saying, do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. So many, I'm gonna tell you a personal experience. So many times, we shape our future Because of our past. We will not dare to believe that it can be different. Nor will we risk everything to pursue something different than what we know. Simply because we've spent our whole life in familiar. And our whole life in shame. Because the lies of the enemy. And I really believe that today that you're not here by chance, happenstance, or anything like that, any of those other cute words, that you're here because God wants you to know you really can be free. You really can. And and that freedom will affect every area of your life. Every area of your life. Jim, will you come and share that word that the Lord gave you? There were so many Things that came during during worship, and this is where I said, "I want I want to see Jesus." And he didn't know what I was sharing. And this came in worship. We think we come to honor him today,
0: but he comes running to us with his grace and his sacrifice, running to robe me in the grace of restoration, so and, the play, and to place the ring on my hand of his sacrifice to make me his son or daughter. I have worn these things in my own, I have worn these things in the past, but in my own desires and my own strength, I have set them aside. But you have been waiting on the porch of expectation so you can run me down and restore me to my
1: rightful place with you. <laughs> That's good. That's good. I got one other Josh <clears throat> texting me this. Josh Jones said, he said, I had a vision. I saw God on his throne. Uh, he saw his children coming to the throne one by one. God laid his hand on their head and said, arise and shine for the dream I placed in you, uh, the dreams I've placed in you are ready to start. I've impregnated your soul with victory. We will execute the dream. We will walk it out together. Protect your heart and the dream and with uh, wise Jesus followers. People that will encourage you and champion you on. I will show you the one and the way to walk it out. I want you to focus on not me. I want you to focus on me, not the dream. You'll become a fire that draws people to you. Your fire will create hunger in others. So what is he saying? He said, I know the thoughts that I have for you, says the Lord. Thoughts to prosper you and to bless you and to give you an expected end. He said, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. And he told Jeremiah, and I set you apart as a prophet to the nations. I believe he's done the same in here. But through shame, condemnation, and offense, we have sidelined those dreams. We've laid them down and say, yeah, God, I know what you said, but because I did this and this and this, I can't do that. We read, Jesus said, if you married to the old man and you marry another, it's adultery. But when that man dies, you're free. My old man died. My failures and disappointments, they died. It doesn't mean I I don't uh, acknowledge them and grow from them. It means they no longer have authority over me. It means the hurtful things that have been said to me or about me no longer have authority over me because I choose life. I choose resurrection life on this side of the cross where Jesus came out, conquered death, hell, and the grave, and I will not allow anyone else to put shame on me. I will not allow anyone else to put condemnation on me. I will not take offense because it's not mine. Jesus took it for me.